Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. appreciate what I feel and I thank you for your attendance here this evening and let's let the Lord just do something in our midst, amen, that would be in his timing and in his will. This past Sunday morning I started a message, was talking about praise and worship and was not able to finish and so I would like to just conclude this evening. I want to take just a few moments and summarize what we covered uh, Sunday morning and then move forward from there. I know some were not here Sunday morning. or and So if you were and you're hearing a little something sec- the second time, that'll be all right. Amen. I took my text from the book of Psalms and I went to the 100th Psalm in verse number one. The Bible says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. We quote this often, at least the first portion of verse number four, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. Verse number five, for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endureth to all generations. Amen. I'm thankful that truth endured long enough for me to get to it. Amen. (laughs) Praise God. Praise God. I'm glad that truth didn't run out before I got there. But I'm grateful that truth, amen, truth was available to me. I understand this evening that what we have been participating in up to this moment It's what we often refer to as our praise and worship portion of our service. That's a very important thing because it's not just uh, a part or not just something we do to just take up a little bit of time or kind of get us in the mood for something else. But praise and worship is very much a very intricate part of what we do. It's not the lead up to something else. It is important in and of itself. Praise and worship. Our worship certainly should be more than just a few moments of what we do here collectively, whether that's blending our voices together in singing or song or clapping our hands. But worship ought to be a part of who we are, a part of our life, not just something we do because we're here, 
and uh, somebody's playing, somebody's leading us in that, but worship ought to be our life. It ought to be the very center or the core of who we are. I, I used to hear Brother R.B. Bingham say many years ago, he said, we ought not to ever be more than, I think he said, two or three, but two or three hallelujahs away from victory. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I understand, I think in my own simple mind, I understand what he meant, that we ought to live at a level of praise and worship that, uh, that it doesn't take us long to get into the spirit of the Lord. You never know when we're going to be called on. And so we need to be able to... Uh, able to touch the throne of the Lord, so so to speak. I don't want to just use a bunch of church vernacular here, but we certainly praise and worship. That ought to just be who we are, not what we do from time to time. That ought to be who we are. We're his children. We're made in his image, in his likeness. We are the work of his hands. The psalmist David was overwhelmed by the idea that God would put in man the, the responsibility and give man dominion over the creation of the world. When you think about that, it's a very humbling thing. And so at the very thought of that in Psalms 8 and 9, David said, O Lord our God, how excellent is thy name in all of the earth. Amen. We find David many times sort of captivated by, by the fact that God would give such credibility or credence to man. He said, what is man? that thou art mindful of him. When we think of the handiwork of God and all that he has given us and all that he has done, and yet he would include us in his plan. Let me be more specific. Amen. After all the Lord has done and his mighty works, his power, I am humbled to think that he would include me in his plan. I'm thankful for that. And I'm thankful that we have not ever lost that. God certainly is good. When David said God is good or the Lord is good, how many times have we just been made aware of the goodness of God in those specific particular moments where we just realized this was just the hand of God that brought something into our life or uh, whether that was a gift of some sort or prevented something in some measure. Of course, a lot of things could be inserted into that particular, particular illustration, but how many times have we just been made aware of how good, how excellent, how wonderful the Lord is? And so as David thought about the, uh, the goodness of God, just the sheer goodness of God, not just him pouring gifts on us or smothering us with some kind of love, we find David recording some of his praise. And I mentioned Sunday morning that David mentioned several things, or referred rather to several things that the Lord was to him. He said that he is a rock, my rock. He said he is my fortress and my deliverer, my shield and my horn of salvation, my tower, my refuge, my savior. And so if we Look at these words. These are not just random words that David somehow thought were poetic enough to be included into some of his writings. But when you look at these words and uh, understand that these are historic moments of David's life, there were times, a season, a specific place that the Lord was his rock, that he was his fortress, and that he was his deliverer. And so 
I'm grateful tonight as, as we begin to sing tonight, thinking about the songs that we were singing that was just the word of God. I mean, it was, we were singing the word tonight in some of our praise and worship songs. And so I think about often when we are worshiping the Lord, how applicable those very words are to my life, to circumstances and situations. He has, as David recorded in the 91st Psalm, there have been times that God has covered me with his wings. And so when we start singing about things like that, that's personal. God has covered me. When I think about again in that 91st Psalm where he said that he has given angels charge over us, amen, to, to, to stand by us lest we should dash our foot against a stone. They would be there to bear us up and lift us up. I'm telling you that that's more than just words to me because the Lord has been there for me and I have stumbled and I have fallen and he has lifted me up and I'm thankful for that. So when David refers to all of these things, they represent specific moments or specific miracles or uh, moments in his life. And so when I think about the goodness of the Lord, when I think about his mercy and where he has brought me from, I know we could speak of that in real, real general terms, very general terms. And uh, certainly that would, that would be all right. But when I think about in specific moments how God has been so good to me and given me victory here or opened a door of opportunity there or the Lord made a way where it seemed that it was impossible or there have been times that God made a way when it was impossible. It didn't just seem impossible, but the Lord gave us those victories and so it is so easy to praise and magnify him and fitting that we would praise him for those moments. And so praise arose from the very core of who David was as a man. And I think that we should never be, uh, or we should always be on guard to not forget those good things of the Lord, to write them down, to chronicle them. Uh, many, it's been many years ago now, but I remember Brother Mooney preaching one night at our camp meeting um, I don't remember what year it was, but I remember that we were back then having camp meeting in the gymnasium. And uh, one night, Brother Mooney preached, and he brought just a little manila file folder with him to the pulpit, and he preached a message entitled, The God File. Amen. And so uh, a lot of you are responding to that, and we have some Brother Mooney saints here tonight. Maybe they <laughs> would even know more about these stories than... Uh, then I would even be able to tell, but he, he talked about how that he chronicled things that God had, had done for him in his life and ministry, and it was literally a file. I was on the platform. I was close enough to be able to see that this wasn't just a prop. This wasn't just something he took to the pulpit, but, but in there were many pieces of paper where he had written down when God had worked on their behalf, whether that was for him individually or for them collectively as a church, and I remember him sharing one story in particular when they were in some portion of a building program many years ago and needed 
an absolute miracle, a miracle of miracles, and, and it had to happen. It had come all the way down to just having to happen before daylight the next day and how that he stood on that God pile. And he said, Lord, if you've, you've been here, this is the reason I'm praying is because here is a time that you answered a prayer. And he set that down, and here is another time that you answered this prayer, and here is another time that you answered this prayer. And so I, I'm not suggesting that we all together have a literal God file, and there wouldn't be nothing wrong with that. But when we think about the goodness of the Lord, and we think about how important it is not to forget those moments, to write them down, chronicle them in our heart, in our mind, or literally. And so when I think about how the Lord has been so good to us, Amen. When I think about the Lord has been so good to us as a church, but when I think about just what he's done for me individually. So if you if you don't have anything to praise the Lord about tonight, I certainly have plenty to praise him about. Amen. He's done so much for me. One songwriter said, I just cannot tell it all. He's been so good to me and done so much for me. And so I think that it would do us well to often reflect about those times and moments and specific uh, things that the Lord has done in our lives. And so when we relive those memories from the past and victories from the past, that certainly uh, is ample reason to have a song in our heart that puts, us, that puts something there in our life. And, uh, you know, I've met people that have been in the church a long time and they've got a long, sullen, sad face and they almost act ticked off about it. And then I've met other people who have been in this thing a long time and just somewhere along the way, they never lost their song. They just kept, they just kept somehow in their heart a reason to praise and magnify the Lord. And we all have a reason to magnify the Lord. I don't want to lose my song in the process of all of, of all of this thing called life. And so with, we with David would declare that he is certainly worthy to be praised. The Lord has provided for us all throughout our lives. He has been right there. So good. So good. Just yesterday, my wife and I were uh, riding alone together and we were talking about some of our younger years, even when we were dating and then things of that nature and just caused our mind to go pretty far back uh, in time and to think about how good the Lord has been to us and how many, how many things he's provided for us and how he has been right there. Amen. When I begin to realize the gift that, have, that, that I've been the recipient of the gifts that have come from his hands, that he has been right there every time. Not ever late, but he's always been right on time. And so our, our gratitude, our appreciation, it ought to just be on the tip of our tongue. I said Sunday morning that in all truthfulness, we should never have to have someone prompt us to praise the Lord, really and truly. We should never have to have someone prompt us to do that, beg us to do that, but that ought to be something that is just right there, uh, that we're just, we're just always on the cusp of that at any given time. Several years ago, I remember uh, watching a video of a general conference in, in Chile, and, and uh, the, the people that, had, that had, uh, were in attendance of that service, many of them had walked for days uh, to be there and be a part of that service. And this was the very first night um, of their general conference. And so uh, someone went to the pulpit and they opened the service with prayer. And the opening service of that prayer was 54 minutes and eight people got the Holy Ghost. Amen. That's the truth. 
And uh, so just so grateful, so thankful to be there. Amen. I say, Lord, help us to never forget how good you've been to us. And our uh, praise ought to always be in our lips. I use that illustration. If, if we have anybody prompting us to do anything, it ought to be people prompting us to say, okay, now we need to move on. We need to move on. We need to move on. And so the expressions of our worship, of course, come uh, in many facets. I think every expression uh, of praise, every expression of worship, I really believe that we ought to be able to validate our expressions of praise and worship with the word of God. Amen. Anytime that we're doing something, we ought to be able to validate that in Scripture. And so the Bible talks about leaping for joy, clapping our hands. The Bible talks about dancing. We'll mention that in just a moment. I'm not talking about worldly dancing, but dancing in the spirit. And uh, we ought to be able to validate those things in Scripture. And so we need to keep flesh in control. Amen. And not do anything outside of, of the realm of Scripture so that we would have order and decency in our praise and worship. Another thing that I want to insert here to this evening is that I think our every expression of praise and worship should place all focus and all emphasis on God and not man. And uh, I'm, I'm just going to kind of launch out here and, and say something. I'll ask you to forgive me in, in advance if you find this offensive, but but uh, I've seen some people that were holding the microphone leading services and you just wanted to go take it out of their hand. Because it was just a moment for them to show and shine. It had nothing to do with God, had nothing to do with with anything spiritual, but it was just a moment for them to be spotlighted. And so we should never, never try to make this about us. Amen. Uh, you know, you, this is a, primarily an adult audience. Our youth are out tonight. But, uh, you know, sometimes I've been to funerals where, where people got so caught up in what they were singing and saying until they forgot it was about somebody down front here. Amen. Because they just had an opportunity to hold the microphone and they made it all about them. And so we should never, we should never do that. Every expression of praise and worship, we ought to be able to validate it in the word of God. Somebody that would attend our church for the very first time, they've never been to a Pentecostal church, they ought to, if they ask why, you know, why are you doing that, we ought to be able to take them to the book and say, here is scripture for why we are doing why we are doing what we're doing. And then again, I think we need to be very careful that what we do is bringing glory to God, his word, his kingdom, and not make that about us. When we are talking about prayer and praise, if those two things, I think, complement one another and probably should always be a part. I think that genuine praise should saturate our prayers. Our prayers shouldn't just be about our needs and our supplications, our wants and things of that nature, but our, our prayers should always be bathed in praise and worship unto the Lord. That's how we ought to make that a season. That ought to be a part of our prayer. Amen. And so I think that even the weakest vocabulary can become eloquent in the ears of God when we saturate our prayers with praise and adoration. I'm thankful to him. The Lord's prayer is not a prayer to recite, but it's a, it's a prayer of principles. And so how beneficial it is when we commit those words to our heart, again, not to just repeat them, but to think about how powerful they are and, and how 
how that brings us into the presence of the Lord. A part of our praise and worship, of course, involves singing, and uh, it's it's very difficult sometimes just to say what we mean, but how important it is to sing what we mean. And so we sing songs of praise and devotion. Many of the psalms were songs. And so, uh, again, tonight I refer to some of our praise and worship this evening. We were just singing absolutely the word of God. Singing expresses our heart. Uh, it affects us. It's hard to, to not be moved by singing, especially if you're thinking about what you're saying. Amen? We have the benefit these days of uh, having the words uh, where you can see them. Uh, but I, I grew up in church, and, and to be honest with you, uh, until you lead singing or sometimes you don't, you don't even know some of those words. We were using the wrong words. <laughs> Years ago, it was very, uh, it was very uh, customary for people to sing a little chorus, I'll live on, I'll live on, uh, during a baptismal service. And um, I remember my mother and others talking about when they were children, they thought they were singing olive oil, olive oil. And uh, how much more meaningful it is when you really know the words. And, <laughs> and so it's, it's, uh, it's, it is moving sometimes when you think about the words, you came from heaven to earth to show the way. Amen. From the earth to the cross, my debt to pay. Whew, wow. Amen. It's hard for me to just kind of stand there and keep my arms folded when I begin to think about that, how true that is, that he was building a bridge from common sinful man, amen, tearing down a barrier and a border and the veil so that we could come into the presence of the Lord. Amen. When we sing the song, Cover Me, and I begin to think about what we're saying and the word of God and how that applies to my heart. Ooh, something gets down inside and I just can't be still. Amen, it stirs me, it impresses our heart, it affects our life, it touches us. Hymns, spiritual songs, they, they leave such impressions until they become attitudes. They become a part of who we are. Unfortunately, as I mentioned, Sunday songs and music that are not spiritual have the same effect and so that's why we must be very, very careful to avoid Music that is not godly, things that are carnal and sensual have no spiritual benefit and uh, they can be, become spiritually detrimental. So they, they can be very negative and very destructive to our spiritual life and spiritual development. And so we need to be very selective and careful in what we allow ourselves to participate in. Singing is a beautiful thing and it's a, certainly a beneficial thing. I talked about giving, of course, we want to do everything that we can for the Lord. In a sense, as I've said many times, God doesn't need anything that we have. He has just given us what we have and given us uh, the responsibility of stewardship in those things. And uh, so he gives. He, he gives to us and then commands that we give back. And, uh, but it's not for his sake that he commands us to give back, for, but it's for our sake. And I'll tell you how to deal with a stingy, a stingy spirit. You ready? Give. Just put that fire out by giving. And that's how you get over that. That's how you work through that. Amen. God didn't, uh, he didn't give it to us for us to keep it, but he gave it to us to see what we're going to do with it. 
Amen. And, and, and some of that is mandated in Scripture when we talk about, in particular, the tithe or the one-tenth of our increase to give that back to God. I'm going to tell you, as it's been stated many, many times through the years, I would rather have 90% with the hand of God's blessing upon it than 100% with the hand of God against it. Amen. When you read in, in the Old Testament, the minor prophet who said that if we uh, do not are not diligent in these areas, that God would allow our that to be bags with holes in it. Amen. It's not enough this week, and guess what? It won't be enough next week, and it won't be enough the next and the next and the next. Why? Because God's got His hand against it. Amen. I want the Lord to bless whatever it is that I have. And so he has provided us a means for that. And so as we, as we give and invest back into the kingdom of God, then God begins to bless that, not only financially, but God blesses our gifts, God blesses our time, uh, our clock, our calendar. And so we place that in his hand, amen. And then when we talk about beyond the tithing, that belongs to the Lord. But then he gave us, the opportunity to participate in free will offerings. Amen. And so we, as, as I often say, that's where we control the valve. Amen. That's where in, in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7, he said, This I say unto you, he which soweth sparingly shall, also, shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, because the Lord, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Amen. I, I don't think the word, I know we've talked about that mean, and literally it does mean to be able to give in, in, a, in a hilarious way, but I think that it's a, to give in a generous way, in a way that is not begrudging. Amen. So cheerful givers, whether that's time or finance or talent, abilities, whatever it may be, that is a reflection of our love to the kingdom of God. Amen. It's a reflection of that. I mentioned a little bit about the different ways of giving Sunday, and I'll touch on that again because I thought of a couple of things uh, since Sunday. Aren't you glad of that? <laughs> uh, there, there are you know, different cultures and, and different, um, different, uh, different churches and different even areas of the country. Um, are, are different in their response to giving. And so sometimes, uh, I know one culture in particular, uh, and we preached in several churches that were uh, that predominantly this or at least had people in the church uh, that were a part of this. And, and it is their culture that, uh, that during the service and particularly during the preaching, that they would come down and lay money on the, on the platform during the preaching, and that is how they were taught to give. That is their culture. That is their way of giving. And so uh, I don't think that's wrong, even though that may not be how we do it here. But if you ever see that, don't, don't be incensed by that. That's their culture. That's how uh, they do. Uh, several, several years ago, our men, we were at men's conference, and uh, we began to talk about, uh, dear, I may need you to help me with this just a minute, not a literal illustration, but just... Yes or no here, but I think we needed about twenty five thousand dollars, wasn't it, that night for the uh, for the building we were building, and are going to build in Guatemala for the Florida house, and uh, and so as they just began to talk about the need of that, Brother Jody Wells, our men's ministry director, was up, and they were just talking about the need, and men just got up and started walking out of the front and bringing money down to the front and laying money on the platform, and when. 
someone gave, and, and I don't, that was not a competitive thing. It was a very godly thing, a very spiritual thing in a matter of just a few moments. And when I say few, I mean literally few moments, like 10 minutes or something like that. The, the, the $25,000 had been given right then and there. Isn't that a beautiful thing? God loves a cheerful giver. Amen. And I think that's the way the kingdom of God should function and should operate, that there would be something in our heart that would connect with particular situations. And uh, I thought about um, a, a general conference service, a day service that many years ago, my, my son was considerably uh, younger and uh, we were there together. He and I went to the service and while we were sitting there in that in that particular service, Brother Randy Keys from Modesta, California, walked to the pulpit. He was there. His designation that day was to receive the offering. And uh, when he stepped to the pulpit, uh, he just made a few kind remarks, just some opening comments. And I'm going to tell you that there was something that happened in the spirit right there. And, and, I, and, and he just backed up from the pulpit. And then he stepped back up to the pulpit and he said, I feel like the Lord just spoke to my heart to do something and I need to be obedient to the Lord. This was as genuine. I felt, I didn't know what he, I didn't feel exactly to do what he said to do, but I felt something in that service. And he just said, I, uh, I just feel like the Lord would have us to raise $200,000 in this service. And he said, just real quick, I want to know how many people would be willing to participate if you could give $1,000. And you know what? In, in about seven minutes, amen, it was all said and done. Because why? Because people responded. Amen. There was a cheerfulness. No sad stories, no sad songs, no guilt trips. Amen. And so we just need to understand the value of cheerfulness in our giving. And so whatever venue that may be, and I've, I've, I get it, I've, I've seen those situations almost abused. <laughs> I've been in services where an offering lasts an hour and a half. That's a, that's a little while to me. It's quite a while to me. That's almost as long as I preach sometimes. <laughs> Don't know whether to respond or not, do you? <laughs> and so that's not what I'm talking about. Let's not let our mind go to those excessive things where it's wrong. I'm talking about the Lord just loves a cheerfulness. And so there ought to be a willingness in our heart. Amen. And, and part of our praise and worship is preaching. And I know when I use the word preach or ministry, sometimes our mind just kind of goes right here and we think about the ministries of a certain church or maybe even this church in particular. But I believe that every member of the body of Christ is a minister of the gospel. Amen. And so a part of our praise and worship is proclaiming the truth as we support the ministries of churches. And so preaching requires both a dedicated ministry, not just a faithful ministry, but but it also requires a faithful congregation. And so you could have the greatest preacher and the most faithful preacher in the world, but if they didn't have a faithful congregation, you're going to be lopsided. Something's going to be grossly out of uh, uh, missing there and out of balance. And so in order for a church to fulfill its divine purpose, there needs to be that perfect combination of faithfulness, not only in the pulpit, but faithfulness in the pew. And so the Bible said in 1 Corinthians that it pleased God through the foolishness of preaching to save them that are lost. And so 
I, I get it that there are those who have the call of God to be a preacher of the gospel and that's what they do. That's their vocation in life, so to speak. But I believe it is the duty of every child of God to have and be a part of the ministry of the Lord. And so what can be more powerful than a unified church that lifts up the name of the Lord in our praise and worship, it ought to be a part of that we are propagating the gospel. Amen. I think that uh, when someone walks in and they see a well-kept building, uh, I think that speaks volumes to people that someone uh, picks up on the fact that, that somebody cares about things like that. I believe that when people walk in and they find a warm and a friendly atmosphere, I think that speaks about our devotion to the Lord and people understand and perhaps even feel that they are, are in a safe place. But then I believe that when lost people observe others in the church that are rejoicing, clearly communicating the word of God in our praise and our worship, I believe they realize this is not just a church that's about uh, uh, showing and shining. This is not a church that's just about pointing everything in our direction, but they're gonna recognize there is, a, there is some truth here. It should be multifaceted, amen. Additionally, when the Lord is, uh, when the word of God is preached with clarity, I believe that the, the message of the pulpit becomes a pattern for the pew. And there is harmony. There is a... Uh, uh, there, uh, we are, we are, we are connected. There is continuity, is the word I'm looking for. There is continuity there. That there's not something that's just being preached in the pulpit that's not being lived out in the pew. And I'm just differentiating pulpit and pew just for the sake of illustration here tonight. But, but there is not a conflict between these two, these two different places. And so nothing glorifies God any more than to see that this is not just one person's opinion or a handful of people's opinion, but we have embraced this word ourselves, and we're preaching this, we're declaring this, not just with our lips, but with our lives every day, that consistency of just being what God has called us to be. Amen, that kind of church is not just going to grow inwardly but they're going to grow outwardly as well because what is healthy will grow things that are healthy grow and they do the natural progression that's what God has called us to do and so when we worship and we praise the Lord for his word it creates an atmosphere that causes people to say you know what I need the Lord I need that that's what I'm looking for and Sunday I shared a couple of those illustrations and uh, examples of something that had happened last week and I'm not getting back into all of that but if, if, we, if, just for, if you were here Sunday morning you know what I'm referring to uh, those couples who didn't even know anything about the Lord but yet because of what they sensed and felt and experienced when they walked into church they said you know what this is exactly what I've been looking for and so my prayer is this is that when people come in to this church and in our praise and worship, they're not just gonna be, we want that to be as, as in orderly and as decent as we can possibly get it, but we don't wanna show. We're not trying to compete with the world and we're not trying to compete with Nashville or what's going on in Gatlinburg or what's going on in Branson, Missouri. We're not entertainers. Amen, that's not even what it's all about. That's not why. But I hope when they walk in in our praise and worship, they acknowledge and feel this is the power of God and the truth of God's word is evident here. Praise the Lord. Other expressions of our, of our praise and worship, of course, scripturally is dancing. And I think that we should consider every expression 
as every expression of worship should just be one part of the whole. Amen. Let me say that again. Every expression of worship should just be one part of the whole pie. So you wouldn't want to just come here and all we do is sing. You wouldn't want to just come here and all we do is just give. Or all we do is just dance. Or all we do is just leap for joy. Or all we do is just clap our hands. That should just be one part of the whole thing. And so dancing before the Lord is a demonstrative expression of worship. I think that it doesn't constitute the whole of worship, but it certainly honors God if we are doing that scripturally. And again, I want to be very, very careful here because what I'm talking about, the liberty for this kind of expression should never, ever be a license for us to abuse that. Amen. And just choreograph what we're going to do and blah, 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 blah. Need I say more? Amen. So it, 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 it's just part of it. So anything that's good, if it is abused, can be un, unprofitable, can be detrimental. And so we don't want to abuse that. I've, I've seen beautiful expressions of, of dance before the Lord, but it had nothing to do with something that was rehearsed and practiced and things of that nature. So we need to make sure that it is done decently in order. Every expression of praise and worship is going to require balance. Amen. And, and so there, is, there has to be a balance between, uh, between liberty and responsibility. We're responsible. Amen. We have the liberty to do a lot of things, but we're responsible how we, how we carry that out and conduct that. And so where there is liberty, there must be an equal amount of responsibility. Again, I think that our praise and worship, and certainly if we're talking about praising the Lord in a dance, that ought not be directing attention and drawing attention to us. But it ought to be about, it ought to be about the Lord. Amen. The, the scripture talks about clapping hands, and that's a universal expression of joy. I mean, a child who knows nothing and barely can walk, when they're happy, they clap their hands. Amen. And so that's just a universal expression. And so it needs to be free. Our worship needs to be spontaneous. Praise the Lord. Amen. There should be that atmosphere. And so when we try to squeeze that into the framework of something that is too restrictive, then it ceases to be true worship. It needs to come from our heart. It needs to be expressive. And we ought to let the joy of that be expressed. But again, bringing praise to the Lord and not praise to ourselves. I'm just going to use this illustration since I'm right here at this. I've been in services before where people were just clapping so obnoxiously loud. It had nothing to do with God. They were just proving to everybody else they could clap on time, I suppose. I don't know. <laughs> Amen. Unless they were running for office of district clapping coordinator or something. I don't know what they were thinking, but... But we just need to understand that this shouldn't be about us, but this should be about God and not drawing attention to ourselves. We play instruments, and we recognize that instruments in and of themselves 
uh, have have no no power or no ability, but they express praise and worship. And so, to praise God on an instrument is to utilize it for the purpose of worship. We find a lot of this detailed and highlighted specifically in the 150th Psalm. Different instruments emitting different sounds, yet when they are played in harmony, all of those differences complement one another. Some of those instruments just by themselves may not be all that much. It may not be all that impressive, but when you combine it together in harmony, what beauty is derived of, of all of that? Uh, and, and so in like fashion, what could be more precious and more beautiful than a worship service where the children of God, the saints of God, lifting our voices together? <laughs> Amen. In harmony, the magnif- the, 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 to magnify and just praise the Lord. I was, uh, I pulled up uh, the other evening. I had to run to the, to the district office while we were at, in our prayer conference. And when I got out of my truck over at the office, I could just hear the music as it echoed across the way from the tabernacle. And I thought uh, it, it wasn't to the point of being so loud it would have been disruptive to the neighbors. But I thought, my goodness, what a pleasant sound. Amen. The children of the Lord, hundreds of voices lifting their, uh, lifting their voices together. Music has its own language. It has the ability to set certain moods and set certain things in our heart. Amen. So we, uh, we must, again, then, if we are the, uh, if we are going to be the musicians uh, that are a part of that, we need to have a, realize the obligation we have to keep our expressions of, of worship godly. Keep them holy. Not make that all about us because it's not about us. Amen. Not about us at all. And so we have an obligation to make sure that I'm not just trying to bring attention to myself, draw attention to myself, but we want to magnify and listen and lift up rather the, the, the name of the Lord. I'm thankful to have a place of worship, aren't you? We didn't just get here accidentally tonight. We didn't just wind, wind up here and surprise to see everybody. We've been planning this. We've been thinking about this. I think Brother Osborne opened the service by, by making his own personal expression of how much he had been looking forward to being right here in this house of worship right here. And so this is a place. We build our church and our buildings and we maintain them for the purpose of having a place that we can come and worship. It's a place where we can assemble together. We've come here, we set the time. We know on purpose, we know that when we leave here tonight, our plans are to be right back here Sunday morning. And we know exactly what we're gonna be doing Sunday morning in this sense. We're gonna be preaching, we're going to be praying, we're going to be praising, we're going to be worshiping. Hallelujah. It doesn't matter who's going to be preaching. It doesn't matter who's going to be the one leading the prayer or who's going to be leading the singing or who's going to be playing the music. Amen. It matters that we come here with a purpose, a designated place, a designated time. And so since the assembling of ourselves is our primary purpose, and, and, and admittedly it takes on many forms, preaching, praise, prayer, singing, witnessing, whatever it may be, those that are gathering, we should make sure consistently, continually seek to have our hearts pure, our, our, our spirits pure, our motives pure. We shouldn't come here with our own agenda. Amen. All of our singers... Uh, all of our participants, everybody knows this up front. You may be on the schedule to sing Sunday, but if the Spirit of the Lord begins to move, amen, in a different way, and then, then at some point during the service, we may have to give you the nod that you're going to have to wait till next month or the next month or the next month. 
Now, if you reach down, grab your Bible, and walk out the front door, you might have been singing for the wrong reason. Amen. But I'll tell you the beauty of it, if I can just be real personal here, sometimes when the service is just kind of going away, those that are on the schedule to do other things have often approached those that are in charge and say, hey, just take me off. Now, that's the right spirit. Amen. It'll, it'll all hold. It'll all keep. Amen. Well, I, I, I thought it would. It's getting a little tight here. I'm, maybe I'm, <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Amen. But we, when we gather, we need to realize that there are times that our, our ministers, myself, we prepare something to preach, but the Spirit of the Lord takes a different direction. And so we come to church with a plan. We start our service with a plan. Amen. But if the Spirit of the Lord begins to move, that's the main thing right there. That is the main thing. But we're not going to show up without a plan. We're not going to show up with, without knowing what we're going to do next. Amen. But if the Spirit of the Lord moves, we want the Lord to move because he can do more than we can possibly do. And so it's, it's so important about this place of worship that we gather that the book of Hebrews in, in, implored us that we forsake not the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. Even he said so much the more as we see the day approaching. It is so much the more important to be in the house of God. I realize that from time to time things come up. But you know what? If, if the same ox keeps falling in the same ditch, you need to kill that ox and get a new ox. Amen. Because once we allow something to continually keep us out of the house of God, the devil will always work to make sure that happens. Our diligence ought to be always that we're reaching, we're coming. Why? Not just to be counted, not to be seen and heard of men, not coming because we're participating or we're singing or we're preaching or we're teaching or we're doing this, but we ought to come together because it's the time to praise and worship and magnify the Lord. Oh, come magnify the Lord with me. Praise God. Praise God. We need this environment tonight. We need this environment tonight. We need this. We're gonna be better when we walk out of this building, not because of the songs that were rendered, not because of the speed or the tempo of the songs. It was not be because of the sermon or even who preached tonight, but something powerful happens when we come into the house of the Lord and we just praise and magnify him. He is worthy. He's worthy. He is worthy. I think not only the house of God should be sacred, but our home should be sacred. In the day of deteriorating families and home life, we need our homes to be built on the function of godly principles. Our homes ought to be little sanctuaries. I'll tell you what the home is. The home is just one segment of the church in society. Your house and your neighborhood is just a little sanctuary. It's just a piece of the church in society. Now don't write me off for saying this, but I'm gonna tell you that when people drive by your home and your neighborhood, they ought to feel something. Amen. Now if you're out in the front yard arguing and throwing pots and pans every other day and the laws at your house, they're probably not gonna feel that peace. Just a guess, just a random guess on my part here. But our homes ought to be, our homes ought to be little sanctuaries, just little segments of the church in society. 
a place where the spirit and the peace of God can be found. Our neighbors are to take solace when they lean against our fence to talk to us by the way. Amen. They ought to take solace when they see us in the front yard or wherever. Amen. Our home should be a safeguard against the encroachments of a world. I'm going to tell you without reservation, a world that has gone astray. If I can even be more blunt, a world that has lost its mind. Amen. Our homes ought to be a safeguard against those encroachments. Our homes ought to be sanctuaries of truth. Our homes ought to be sanctuaries of holiness. Amen. That's why we need to protect everything that happens within the confines of our home. Why? Because I need the glory of God to abide here and I don't want his presence. I do not want his presence to be interrupted. You don't know when somebody's gonna call you for prayer. Be careful what you gotta turn off in order to pray. Be careful what you're gonna have to pray through and pray over and get out of your own spirit and your mind in order to reach for somebody else. And I'm not suggesting that we all just sit around holding hands singing Kumbaya 24 hours a day in our home. We have real lives, real situations, real problems, real mountains that we have to climb. But don't you agree with me tonight that we need to keep our homes a holy place, a safe place, a righteous place. Praise God. I believe that elements of worship, and, and I'm just going to ask our musicians, musicians to say where you are tonight. That's fine. Uh, but uh, our, there, there are elements about our worship that ought to be evident to everybody. It ought to be evident in every service. I think that one of the things that ought to be overwhelmingly evident in a healthy church is the spirit of unity. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't get crossed up with one another every now and then because we're all human. But we need to have enough Holy Ghost and enough maturity to work through those situations. Amen. I've, I've said many times, it's only happened one time in my life, so I just have this one illustration, but the only one person that ever told me repeatedly over and over and over and over and over that he and his wife never had a disagreement have been divorced for years. And so when you're together... There's differences of opinions. But there needs to be an overall unity. And so some people always want to see everything eye to eye. But you're not going to always see eye to eye. But even when you don't see eye to eye, you can stand shoulder to shoulder. And just walk triumphantly forward. And so I think that unity provides an atmosphere, not only where we can truthfully and purely praise the Lord but it creates an atmosphere where people can be themselves moved by that. I'm going to tell you that there's something glorious about an atmosphere that has the absence of gossiping and bickering and, and bite, backbiting and all of that. There's something pure about that. You can't purchase that. Amen. And so we need to make sure that we're not participants in those things and we all have a tendency to lean that way because sometimes gossiping's just fun. Well, I lost a few super spiritual people. I'm not talking about cruel gossip. But I'm just, you know, everybody, everybody likes to hear a good story. Even the people not responding right now like to hear a good story. But we just need to, dis, we need to distance ourselves from those things and not be participants and, and, and carry those things on. I need to move on, apparently. 
We need an atmosphere where the truth is preached. John 16 and 13, the Bible says, Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will do what? Guide you into all truth. And so we need an atmosphere where truth is preached. And I say it a lot, and I mean it every time, and probably mean it more, a little more, every time I say it. That's why I want to protect and guard this particular pulpit with everything that I have. Because if we have truth preached from this pulpit, that will lead to more truth. Amen. So we need the spirit of truth to be preached and declared. And that when truth is preached, revelation is released in our midst. And so this includes doctrinal truth. Amen. That truth about our inner man, our outer man, just to be honest about those things and walk in the light of the gospel. When you walk in the light, light dispels darkness. If you always tell the truth, you don't have to keep up with what you said. So when you always just walk in the truth, your message will always be consistent. Amen, we need the spirit of God. We need truth, obviously, but we need to worship him in spirit and in truth or in truth and in spirit. And so we need the spirit of God. I'm thankful for the spirit of the Lord. That's what we felt here tonight, liberty. Amen, the freedom to magnify and worship the Lord. I know that uh, tonight that the spirit of God has been in this place and is in this place and it's an abiding presence and I'm thankful for that. Amen, I'm very honored, I'm very humbled to feel the presence of the Lord and to have and to be a part of a church where we can just come in and magnify him. Our praise and worship is not just part of the service to take us somewhere else, it's an important part of who and what we are. Amen, don't ever discount praise and worship. Told the story many, many times, but it's no less true tonight. That several years ago, my wife was going through something and the Lord just laid on her heart to praise her way out. You know, that would all be wonderful if all that was in the context of praise and worship and you always had somebody to play in the organ in the background. But when the Lord tells you to praise your way out of something, that may be your, mean you're the only voice in the choir. But I'm going to praise my way out of something. There's something significant about our praise and worship. It's not just an opportunity for man to show and shine. We are not the entertainers. You are not the audience. We are all worship and praise Voices and heaven is our audience. Our mag, we're magnifying and lifting up the name of the Lord. Amen. Let's stand together. You've been very, very kind and patient. Amen. Let's let the Spirit of the Lord always keep us in a place where the presence and the atmosphere of praise and worship is something that can be cultivated. Let us never lose our praise. Never lose our praise. Amen. I told this story many years ago and some of you heard it. I read the illustration years ago and some of us heard it again. I think it was Brother Daryl Johns that used it, uh, this illustration fairly recently at a, a men's conference. But the story told of a, a lady who owned a little parakeet or a little bird and, and she decided while she was vacuuming one day to clean out his cage. And about the time she was vacuuming his cage, the phone rang and she reached to pick up the phone and she sucked up that little bird in the vacuum cleaner. And so she opened up the the vacuum cleaner bag and pulled him out and he's all 
full of dirt and dust. And so she did what she thought was best and she took him and washed him all off. Now he's soaking wet and shivering cold. She thought the next best thing to do would be to take the hair dryer and dry him all off. So she dried him all off and she was telling somebody this story and so they asked her a little while later, said, well, how's he doing? She said, well, it seems that Chirpy's lost his song. (laughs) He lived, but he lost his song. And if we're not careful, the things of life that kind of do all those things to us, it can cause us to lose our song if we're not careful. It leaves us dirty, cold, wet, shivering. Amen. I don't want to lose my song. Amen. The church has been through a whole lot, a lot of good, some bad, good times, bad times. But all of that, I want to hold on. I want to hold on. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, seal this word in our heart. Would you do that? Would you help us, Lord, that we never, ever forget that you're the centerpiece of everything we do, that we we don't just want to come here to a place and let things be about us, but we want to make sure that our praise and worship is founded and centered and, and it is always focused upon you and your power and presence. And so I'm asking you, Lord, tonight to seal the word in our heart and take us from this place, this moment in time, and keep us, preserve and protect us, Lord, that we would never forget the value of true and pure praise and worship and that your spirit reign always in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for being here. May the Lord bless you and I pray God's blessings upon the rest of your week. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806. Or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.